0: Welcome to The Productivity Show, the Asian Efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. In this episode, Brooks and I revisit the Asian Efficiency email workflow and share some important updates to make your email processing even more efficient. I personally interviewed over 30 people recently on their biggest pain points when it comes to email and achieving the coveted state of inbox zero. And I noticed that what many of them had in common was that they were struggling with one particular type of email. Most of the email that came into their inbox, they had no problem with, but there was one kind of email in particular that popped up over and over again that gave them pause and caused their inbox to get backed up. So we immediately went to work to solve this problem by updating the Asian efficiency email workflow. And in this episode, Rix and I share not only what the problem is, but also how you can solve it. We've been testing this process with some beta testers and we're thrilled with the results that they've been getting. So if you struggle to stay on top of your email, or if it takes you longer than 30 minutes per day to process it all, then you don't want to miss this episode. You can find links to everything that we share in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 166. And now, on with the show. All right, today we're talking about everybody's favorite topic, or at least my favorite topic, but I admit that I'm a little bit weird, and that is email. We're going to be talking about an updated email workflow. We're going to share some tips to help you manage your email more efficiently. And with me to talk about email
1: is the new Asian efficiency email expert. You actually just (laughs) did some webinars on this topic, Brooks Duncan. So how are you doing today, Brooks? I sure did. It was fun going back into the world of email. So I'm doing great. <laughs> awesome. Uh, email is one of those things that everybody
0: deals with. And I think what makes me so excited about it is that because everybody deals with it, there's always room for improvement and you can basically help just about anybody. And there's a ton of room to improve. I've shared this statistic a bunch of different times. I'm sure you shared statistics along this line in the, the webinars you did. But uh, one study said that you the average U.S. worker spends 6.3 hours per day Dealing with email. And so we definitely need to address this topic. And really, what inspired this particular podcast episode are some of the changes to the Asian efficiency Email Workflow and some of the realizations that I got from the Inbox Detox process. Inbox Detox is a product which you'll learn more about uh, at the end of this episode, but it's specifically about getting and keeping Inbox Zero, and the process for this was really intensive. I did about 30 different one-on-one interviews with people, and I realized that the old email workflow... Just wasn't working for a lot of people. The email workflow is great. As long as everything that comes into your inbox fits neatly into one of those containers, you know exactly what to do with it. But a lot of people were dealing with emails that kind of fell somewhere in between. And so that kind of caused them to pause. And whenever they paused, they started to back up. And so we're going to deal with that here today. Uh, And maybe let's start with talking about some of the problems that the standard workflow and really GTD. The the problems with this particular workflow, uh, and then talk about some of the different solutions here that we've we've identified.
1: Yeah, it sounds good. And it's funny you would think you would think to yourself, oh, you know, who wants who wants to talk about email? But I, I remember when you kind of threw out the the offer to, hey, does anyone want to do some interviews about email? Can can we talk about it? Can we hear what's going on? Uh, what challenges you're facing? it was like, boom, (laughs) you know, people were jumping all over the chance. And email is one of those things where if you make a small improvement to somebody's email workflow, because so many of us live in our, in our inbox, essentially just fixing up a few things here and there can just have a huge impact through the rest of the day and what you're able to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, uh, the offer, when I threw it out to the dojo audience, I literally went to pour myself some coffee. And by the time I came back, which was only a couple of <laughs> minutes later, I mentioned we had 10 <laughs> spots available and eight of them were taken. So I know there were a lot of people who responded who actually didn't get to help out with the a development process for this particular product, but thank you to everybody, including Nate Lowry, who is here in the the Slack channel. Uh, you can actually hear if you're listening to this after uh, you're not listening to it live right now, but you're listening to the one that is published to your podcatcher of choice. Uh, you can actually hear Nate at the end of this uh, of this episode. But the the people that we worked with were super, super smart, including Nate, uh, and I learned a lot from how people deal with email just by talking to people, which was really cool because you hear that, I guess you kind of think that, well, yeah, you talk to people, you listen, you find out their pain points, but when you actually do it, it illuminates a lot of things that maybe you thought you understood, but then when you talk to people and they express it a little bit different, you really understand it. It's the difference, in my opinion, between information and revelation where information you can say, well, yeah, people deal, you know, the average US worker spends 6.3 hours per day dealing with email. That's information. But revelation is when you actually understand the pain that people experience and the hesitation they have when they have something that falls in between those categories and and they're paralyzed by not knowing what to do with their, uh, with their email.
1: Yeah. And also a lot of times uh, many of us, find that it feels almost hopeless you know they they look at their their email inbox and they have a thousand two thousand sometimes you know you hear about people who have 50,000 unread messages in their inbox and they just think they just think they're beyond help that they're beyond hope but really you can make a lot of pretty s- simple changes that can get you back in control and then have a system going forward that you can actually stay on top of stuff
0: yep. So let's talk about this system. Now, GTD is really the, the initial inspiration, I would say, for the original Asian efficiency email workflow. And it worked really well. And anybody who just comes to GTD and you see that simple flowchart where you've got things that you can take action on and things that you can't take action on, and you just follow the diagram and you end up at the end result and you're like, oh, that's what I got to do with that. That's great. Uh, but GTD really breaks things down into two separate containers. There's the tasks, so the things that you have to do, and then there's the reference material, which are not things that you have to do. These are just things that you might need someday. And so you want to put it in a container so you can search for it and find it if you should ever need it, but you don't really need to take action on it, or at least you don't know that you need to take action on it. Now, what I noticed when I was talking to the 30 plus people that I interviewed was that there was often material that was sent via email that really wasn't ever explicitly identified as a task. Like you need to read this in order to be up to speed for the the uh, the the team meeting on uh, coming up to later this week, but it was kind of implied. And so these were things that weren't explicitly needing to be taken, that action didn't need to be taken on them, but they were things that people wanted to go through and read or get, you know, they wanted to be aware of what was going on with this particular thing at some point in the near future. And that made it a little bit difficult because now you've got time sensitive
1: reference material that does eventually require action. And what bucket does that belong in? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is one thing you find when you talk to people about email is you know, you can have you can have all the the stuff that's out there about it, but then once you start talking to them, there's a lot of oh, but what about this and what about that. So you need to have a flexible enough uh, workflow that really works in the real world versus versus one person's opinion for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, and and that's really the essence of, of productivity right there. You you take a system that w- works for. A lot of people and then it maybe needs to be tailored a little bit to fit your specific situation. So you figure out how to make it yours. Yep. And then that provides the the incremental gains that you're you're looking for. And hopefully along the way, you know, Asian efficiency can help out by taking the GTD methodology as a level one framework and then talking to a bunch of people, figuring out why that isn't working a hundred percent, and then try to modify that into a version two that actually does work. And so that's what we tried to do with this new workflow. we're going to talk about this workflow in this episode. We're not going to share the workflow in the show notes because this is actually part of a product which has not been released to the public yet. So that would not be fair to a lot of the people that spent a lot of time helping us develop this. But we will walk you through the different uh, the different workflows, essentially, when an email comes into your inbox. Before we do that, there's a couple of concepts that you really need to know. And this may be review, but if this is the first podcast that you've listened to from Asian Efficiency that talks about email, these are absolutely critical concepts. Okay. So the first one is, uh, I'll, I'm going to say touch it once. I think that one should be, should be number one. It's kind of backwards in our, our outline here, but touch it once. This is really the belief that everything that comes into your inbox should be touched only one time before you decide what to do with it okay so that means that what a lot of people do when they check email where they get a notification so they pull out their phone and they see oh i got this email but i don't have to do anything with it right now so they leave it there and then when they come back and they process their email they see that message again again they have to decide is this important do i need to do something with this right now And every time you look at that email, you're making those decisions that is adding up and that is going to deplete the willpower that you have available for the really important decisions. So you look at something and ideally you're only looking at it at a set period. So you're checking your email maybe at the beginning of the day, the end of the day, you don't have those notifications and you're not checking it all the time. But you go in there, you look at the email, and you say, "Is this something that I can take action on? I'll do that. If it's something I don't want to take action on right now, it goes to a task manager. If it's something that I might need later, it's going to go to a reference file. And we're going to break those down in a little bit here. But I'll let you speak to the touch at once principle, Brooks.
1: Yeah, this this touch at once thing is something that that sounds simple, but a lot of email, a lot of the problems that people have. E- with email, if they think about it and kind of track it back, it comes from it comes down to this touch at once system because, or not system but uh, situation. Because if you think about it, you could look at the same email ten times, at least. You know, you wake up in the morning, you go. Eventually, you you check your email. The first time you see a message, you're just like, ah, I don't, I just can't deal with it. I don't know what to deal with it. And you look at it over and over and over again. So you if you take that 10 times or let's say it's five times six times whatever and multiply that by all of the email that you have that is how things get totally out of control and then what happens is new email comes in and buries it so eventually you get to it again and it's just become a a total mess this is something that this is one thing that we've identified is the biggest problem with people's email workflow is violating, whether they know it or not, uh, this touch at once thing. So if you can get that cleaned up, it can make a really big impact. Nate, uh, in the, who's, list, like you said, listening to this live in the dojo, uh, he says the turning point for me was having his email workflow diagram in front of him, which kind of forces him to use it and touch it every email once. So he's found that having a system in front of him when he processes email was really helpful.
0: Yeah. And that's that's really the beauty of the the diagram is that it's really just a support. It's a reinforcement. The stuff that we're talking about today, this is not difficult, but it takes a little bit to crease it in your brain. And that's where yeah. the workflow can help because you can just follow it to the logical conclusion of what you're supposed to do with this particular email. But once you get the idea of these are the different types of emails that I'm going to get, and really, there's only a couple, then you can it doesn't take long to crease this in your brain. And then uh, you don't need to consult the diagram with every single email that you, you get anymore. One of the things that you mentioned, and I just want to paint this picture for people because this used to be me. Now, I don't remember what the statistic is, but I know it's over 50% of people check their email before they even get out of bed. Okay. So this is why I touch it once is, is so bad. Just put, put yourself in this picture, okay. So you wake up in the morning, you you reach for your smartphone, and you open up your email app and you see something that is from a coworker, and it's a fire that you've got to put out once you get to the office. Okay. Now let's say you get up at 5:30 in the morning, you got to be at the office at eight, you've got to commute. There is now two and a half hours where you've seen that email and you know you're gonna to need to do something with it. You haven't resolved it, okay, but it is it is going to change how you approach your entire morning and it is going to potentially uh, impact your mood in a very negative way. And that's just one email, okay? So if you do that over and over and over again, it is very easy to see why people can get so depressed and so discouraged when they've got this mountain of email that they can't keep up with. And then it compounds because you've got that email which is bringing you bad news, okay? And you don't want to go back in and deal with it because you remember last time you looked at your email, it made you feel not very good, okay? So you go back into your email then and you're going to reply to this and you're looking for any reason you can find not to deal with that thing, okay? Even if it's urgent, psychologically, you're like, I don't want to go there. I don't have the energy to go there, okay? But the reason you don't have the energy to go there is because you've been wrestling with this mentally for the last two and a half hours before you even got to the place where you could actually deal with it. And then as you were talking about, you know, the the new emails come in, a new notification, a new chance to be distracted by something potentially more pleasant. And those emails, most people anyways, they have a they have their email sort of where the newest messages come in on top. And the older messages just fall below the fold pretty soon, out of sight, out of mind. But psychologically, you know that there's some stuff in there that you need to deal with and you haven't. So all of this compounds and you can really eradicate all of it by using uh, using touch at once. And Nate's calling me out in the dojo. I think I messed this up. Yeah. Touch at once is not bad. Touch at once is good. The situation where you do not touch at once is bad. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And even if even if the email that you're seeing uh, and not dealing with isn't something bad, but if it's just something that there's an action associated with it that you know that that you need to do, but you don't deal with it. And by deal with it, I don't mean necessarily do the action that it's talking about, but putting it somewhere, put, you know, doing something with that email, just the fact that there's this thing that needs to be done, but it's kind of hanging out there in your inbox uh, that can distract you from what you should be focusing on, which may or may not be the action item in that email.
0: Exactly. And that kind of gets into the second important concept that you need to know, and that is the two-minute rule. And this is one, one uh, part of Touch It Once, but this is really the baseline or the general guideline in terms of when you should actually take action and when you should defer something by putting it into your task manager. Now, the task manager, the reason why this is so important is because when you put something into your task manager, you have the opportunity to put additional information with that task. Okay. So you could have a defer date or a start date as well as a due date for some task managers. And that's why uh, we advocate for the start date because the start date basically says this thing can now be thought about. Okay, And that can be used as a filter by your task manager to say, only show the things that are available to be thought about. The things that are five years out in the future, we don't want to even see those. We shouldn't be distracted by those things. And those things that aren't due for another two years, we don't need to see those either. And two years obviously is way, way out there, but you get, you get the idea. You can define the exact criteria that you want and your task manager, which is your external brain, looks through all of your tasks and it finds, okay, so out of the 500 tasks that you have in here, here are the six that you should really be thinking about today. Okay. And and if you attach that information, like the project that it's associated with, or the context, which in GTD speak is the person place tool or thing that you need in order to get it done, then you can say, you know, show me only phone calls that I need to make this week, because you're, you have, 10 minutes to spare. You've got your phone with you. It doesn't really matter where you are. And it's in essence, your location independent and you can make that phone call. Uh, so that is why the task manager is so important. But that two minute rule, uh, this is generally the, the point at which it is more efficient to just deal with something. So if an email is asking you for something and it's going to take you an hour to create the report that you need to attach to that email before you can send it back to your coworker, that's going to violate the two-minute rule. You should probably not be doing that as you're processing your email. But if it's just something that's, hey, I know you you mentioned that you really liked a particular task manager. Which one was it again? And it's just going to take me a couple of seconds to fire off a reply. Then go ahead and do that because that's going to close the open loop. That's the two-minute rule.
1: Yeah, and the two-minute rule can also really contribute to your inbox piling up. I, I've definitely been guilty of this in the past that... All these emails that come in and I could get rid of them really quickly, but I just think ah, I just don't feel like doing that. but even if it's I know deep down responding would just take you know 30 seconds or something like that. And if I don't do it, then then everything just piles up because so many emails you get in your inbox really do fall into this two minute category. Yeah, they, they definitely do. And
0: Nate makes an important point here. He says that it only works if you're consistent in how you use your task manager. That is absolutely true. And that is why having a system is so important. And that is why a workflow can be so helpful because it can show you exactly what to do according to the system or the rules that you've defined that are going to govern how you manage your email, how you manage your tasks, how you manage your life. And uh, he's absolutely right that if you only check your task manager every three to four days, then you're probably not going to trust the information that is in there. But if you have a consistent habit of going through your task manager and making sure that things are up to date, then you can trust it that what it is showing you is exactly relevant information. And that's going to be a little bit different for everybody in terms of how uh, how much maintenance you're going to need in order to really trust that. But Uh, That's why the the two-minute rule is so important because these things are going to feed on each other. If you only implement the two-minute rule occasionally and you occasionally spend way too much time processing your email when you're in your email client and you don't use that time like you normally would for cleaning up your task manager and making sure that you've got your list of tasks that you're going to work on today, then you're right. You're not going to trust your task manager. You have to be able to trust all the different pieces of your system. And one of the things we're talking about this in the general channel, and we've got a PDF here. Uh, This is Nate's again, which uh, shows his his email processing uh, workflow. Uh, and, And he's got very clearly identified the different apps that he's going to use for for uh, all the different types of things that are going to come at him. And that's really what an inbox is, especially an email inbox is these are things that are going to come at you. It is essentially a to-do list that other people can write on. And so that is why it is so important that you take control of this whole process and you make email work your way and you don't work the way email tells you to.
1: Yeah, I heard someone say once, and I wish I remembered who it was, but uh, they're saying Basically, every email you get is a decision. It can be a decision to keep or or get rid of. It can be something actionable. Every email you get is a decision. So when email starts cluttering up, that means really what's happened is you've got a bunch of deferred decisions. And having a workflow, having a system defined for you just makes those decisions decisions a lot easier because you you don't have to think about it you just go yep it's this 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 and this and this, this is where it ends up so it just makes things every every bit more uh, fast and easy
0: yeah definitely so let's let's get into this uh, this agent efficiency email workflow and some of the changes that we've made and there's really five different paths that any email that comes into your email inbox could go down and we'll kind of tackle these one by one Uh, The first one is the implementation of the two-minute rule, and that is if you're going to reply immediately, all right? And so just walking through the workflow here, the process would look something like this. An email comes into your inbox, and the first question that you ask yourself is, do I need to do something? Okay, so that's going to determine whether this is a task or not. So let's say that in this particular case, it is something that you need to do. The next question then is to identify whether it falls into that two-minute rule category. So does it take longer than two minutes to do this task? Okay. And if the answer is no, if you can get it done in two minutes or less, then it is more efficient to reply to that message immediately. And then you archive that message, you put it into your archive folder, and you really never think about it again.
1: Yeah. And it's it's there if you need it because it's in your archive. So if you ever need that message again, you can go and find it. But the the key point is and this is going to be a uh, spoiler alert. This is going to be a, a big theme uh, of most of what we talk about. The key is once you've done something with that email, you get it out of your inbox. Your inbox is not for storage. Your inbox is not a to do list. The idea for all of this is to get this message out of your inbox so that when you're looking at your inbox, you know it's just emails that need to be processed.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that is where maybe there's a point of clarification here for the touch-at-once principle because uh, I've had people say, well, if you move it from your email client to your task manager, then you've got to go into your task manager and you've got to do something with it. That's touching it more than once. That's correct. But what we don't want to do is, is we don't want to have to answer the same questions about this particular message more than once. So in essence, what we're doing is we're triaging our email. And that word triage, uh, we get into this in, in the course a little bit, but this is something I picked up from the box guys. Uh, The word triage actually comes from the Napoleonic War, and we won't dive into this too much. Uh, I know people who are familiar with Inbox Detox are sick of hearing about triage, (laughs) but it was a way to very quickly classify which ones they should pay attention to right then because they grouped the wounded soldiers into three groups, the ones that were probably going to die regardless of what medical care they got, the ones that were probably going to live regardless of what medical care they got, and then the ones for which that medical care would make the difference. All right. So if you're fighting a war and you have more wounded soldiers and you have medical staff, it's very, you can see the value of that sort of triage because you can, you can then just focus on saving as
1: many lives as you can. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some people would consider their email inbox, a war zone. So, uh, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good way to look at it. But yeah, don't worry. Don't worry, folks, we won't be getting uh, too deep into the Napoleonic war. We'll save that for our other, uh, AE European History Podcasts, <laughs> right?
0: So the the basic idea though is just that you want to make quick decisions to get things into the right containers, and then you can actually deal with them uh, at a later date. And that kind of leads into the the second part of this new and improved Asian deficiency email workflow, or the AE email workflow 2.0. Uh, and that is the ones that should go to your task manager. So these are things that you need to do, but they're going to take longer than two minutes to do. So again, just kind of walking through this workflow, you've got a message that comes into your inbox. You ask the question, do I need to do something with this? The answer is, is yes, then it is a task. But then does it take longer than two minutes? Okay, so if the answer is yes, then we probably don't want to do this right now. We want to get through everything that's in our inbox so we can feel good about closing our email application and going back to work. So what we're gonna do is if it's going to take longer than two minutes to complete this thing, we're going to send it to our task manager. And then once again, we're going to archive the message. Okay, because we want to get that out of our inbox. We've now got it in our task manager to deal with it. And this is where you'll find a lot of people who are very loyal to particular email clients or particular task managers because not all task managers are going to send messages or not all email clients are going to send messages to task managers the same way.
1: Yeah, and this is better if you have an email program that has the ability to integrate with a task manager. That's kind of the the ideal solution. If you for whatever reason aren't able to to do that, it's it's not the end of the world. You can still you can still have you know, your email referenced in a task manager and and do it that way. The key is to get it out of your inbox. But in an ideal situation, there's a lot of really tight integration that can happen if you use an email program like a post box, like an airmail, something like that, that has integrations built in with different task managers. Because then what can happen is when you go to your task manager to to take action on these tasks, often there's a link back to the email message. If you need to look at the email message for reference, you have that link right back to it. So that's the ideal anyway. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, and and actually I've, I've mentioned this a lot, but if you're not aware of this, this is a game changer if you use OmniFocus, but they actually, the Omni Group has a website which shows all of the different email clients that integrate directly with Task Manager and provide that link back. And so if you go to, I believe it's inside.omnifocus.com email, uh, you can actually see all of the different email applications that integrate directly. Uh, and there, even those are not all going to work the same way. This is gonna be really nerdy, but it's worth calling out because every time I listen to a tech podcast and they talk about the integrations, I'm always expecting people to bring this up and no one ever does. Hmm. But some email clients will allow you to get the message URL. so if you if you're familiar with uh, with with the the Unix, which uh, Unix, which is what a lot of modern computing is based off of, you've got these URL schemes. and message colon slash slash is the one that they use on the Mac for email messages. So that means that if you have a message colon slash slash and then a unique identifier that you can open that message in your default email client. All right. So that's great. And if you were to use, for example, an iOS 11, they've got drag and drop and you can actually drag a message straight from the mail app in iOS. If you got split screen on your iPad, you can just drag that right into OmniFocus. It's going to copy that message URL. It's very, very easy to do. But if you've got an app like AirMail or Spark, I know does this, uh, and there's a couple others too, they actually use a proprietary URL. So what does that mean? It means that instead of using the default message colon slash slash URL that everybody else does, that they're going to use their own. It's going to be airmail colon slash slash, or I think Sparks is spark colon slash slash. That means that when you click that link, you have to open it in the airmail application or the spark application. Now, that's not necessarily a problem. If you're all in with Airmail, like Nate Lowry is, <laughs> <laughs> then those Airmail URLs that you send from your iOS device, you click on those when you're in OmniFocus on your Mac and it opens it in Airmail on your Mac. That's that's no problem. And Airmail is a great application. Ton of, ton of features and it's, it's actually very affordable. So I would definitely recommend that for people. But I personally don't use Airmail on my Mac. I use MailMate. MailMate. If I if I have a message colon slash slash, that means that it it has the ability to open those messages in MailMate. That's my default email client. So that means that if I send an email to OmniFocus from my phone and it's got AirMail colon slash slash, then when I click on that on my Mac, it's not going to open. All right, and that's again very very nerdy, but it's an important distinction because I think you need to be aware of what you're signing up for when you use these integrations. But ideally, like you said, Brooks, they are going to provide a link back to the original message. So when you're in your task manager and your task manager is doing the heavy lifting and it's telling you now is the time to do this thing, all you've got to do is click that link. It opens the message. You can reply. Bam, you're done.
1: Yeah. And... Like I said, it's the ideal if you have these integrations and you can click back and forth really easily, that makes all this work a lot better. Uh, if you didn't understand a word of what Mike just said, don't worry about it. <laughs> it, it. It's okay, you can still do this stuff. And even way, way back before all of this was possible, I still, and I didn't know I was you know use, following the AE email workflow back then, uh, but even way back before I had even heard of any of this stuff, I still referenced my emails in my task manager. Uh, there, there wasn't that integration back then, but I would just uh, use Gmail search to find the message if I needed to. And again, that's not ideal for sure, but it is it is possible to do. The, the key though, the big picture is what you wanna do is get these messages out of your inbox and have it in a place so that when it's time to focus on Whatever the action item associated with that message is that you're doing that at the right time and place and not necessarily when you're processing your inbox, which may not be that right time or place. And if you just leave that actionable email sitting in your inbox, then either everything is going to get cluttered or you're going to miss whatever the action is because a new mountain of email is going to come in and you're going to start dropping the ball. So you want to make sure it's captured.
0: Yeah, and there are some people, like the specific situation that you're in, the direct link to the original message isn't going to be an option for you. And honestly, I have not found a good PC solution for this. And I don't know why that is. Maybe PC uses uh, URL schemes a little bit different, or they're just not as standardized as they are in the Mac. But I talked to a lot of people who were using Outlook, for example. And so they don't have the ability to send that thing to their task manager and have the link back to the original message. But I still tell them, send it to your task manager and then archive the message. And that is because with modern email clients, and I know Joe in the the Slack channel is saying that he didn't really like airmail search functionality. And and I get that. There's different, uh, everybody, every email client is going to handle search a little bit different. But if you know how to search correctly and combine modifiers, it is still Very, very, very easy to find exactly what you're looking for, even if you don't have that direct link.
1: Yeah, like I said, that's exactly what I used to do before all these newfangled uh, URL schemes uh, existed and and it worked fine for me.
0: Yep. So don't don't uh, if you're on a PC or you're saying that I don't have I can't get that direct link back to the original message. Don't worry about it. You can still implement this Asian efficiency email workflow like Brooks was talking about and he was doing for years before he started getting those direct links. That just kind of takes it to the next level. All right. So that is a prolonged discussion on the second type of email uh, that <laughs> the one that goes to the task manager. Uh, the third type of email that is going to come into your inbox. And this one is my favorite. It's probably the one that (laughs) comes into my inbox the most. And this is the one that you can just delete. (laughs) Now, this is a, this is a, a mental hurdle for a lot of people, but I have found through the years that I used to be very, very hesitant to delete things. And now I, I don't even think twice about it. And so the, the, uh, the, the whole workflow here is you've got something that comes into your inbox. You ask yourself, do I need to do something with this? Okay. If the answer is no, then the question is, will I need this later? And if the answer is no, if it's just a status update, if it's just, you know, somebody saying I'm running a little bit late or, you know, a lot of the, a lot of times people will, uh, will send an email when you've got a meeting coming up. I had this actually happen to me today where, I had received the information for a podcast interview that I did this morning, but there was nothing in the email that said that I needed to take action on it, and so I just had it all ready to go. Uh, and then the person on the other end, and this is, this is justified in some cases, they are a little bit nervous because it's the first time we've ever spoken. And they send me an email about 15 minutes before. Say, just making sure? Did you get that? <laughs> like, yeah, I did. I'll be online in a few minutes. <laughs> okay. That's the perfect type of, of message where maybe I didn't even have to reply. Maybe I get that after the interview has already taken place, you know, and no harm, no foul. So I don't need to reply at that point. Will I need it later? No, just go ahead and delete it.
1: Yeah, and I'm also a uh, prolific deleter. (laughs) I mean, if you have an email that you need to keep, then of course you'll want to keep it. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But yeah, for me, it's even to the point where if I have a, a mail app on my mobile device that A lot of them, the defaults, a lot of these apps have swipe actions, which makes it really fast and easy to process emails uh, on the go on your device. And sometimes they have the default action for swiping being archive. I'll actually change it so that the default action is delete uh, so that I can really quickly rip through and and delete a bunch of stuff so that I only have the emails that I wanna do something with left.
0: Yep, me too, I'm the same way. Uh, One important distinction here uh, and a mental hurdle that people typically have to overcome when it comes to deleting information that gets sent to them via email. Uh, Best advice that I have heard on this, I actually have to credit Sean McCabe with. Uh, We actually interviewed Sean in an episode of The Productivity Show, but he has an episode of the Sean West podcast where he talks about communication. And this is a general rule, okay, so you're going to have to apply this a little bit liberally in your specific situation, but I think that this is 100% true. When it comes to communication, the responsibility for the message that is being sent is on the sender. Okay. So how does that pertain to email? That means that if somebody is making a demand of my time and they want me to do something and they don't write a good email where it's easy for me to understand what they're asking me to do, I don't feel like I have to email them back and clarify that. I just delete that email. And if it's important, they're going to follow up again. And if they don't follow up again, I'm not going to lose any sleep on the fact that I didn't understand their request. Does that does that make sense?
1: Yeah, totally. And this, I think this uh, solves... Or a a lot of problems can be avoided if we think that way, because a lot of times we'll send a message and we'll be and uh, yeah, and it's not interpreted right. And we think, ah, there's something wrong with that person. But really, it's (laughs) it's often the way that we send it. Yeah. So 100 percent.
0: It is not your responsibility to uncover the hidden meaning of every single email that comes into (laughs) your inbox. And when you get that revelation, it is very, very freeing to just look at something and be like, I don't want this. And then just hit delete. (laughs) Obviously if you've got (laughs) a boss or something who sometimes that's not going to work. But I would argue that even with a superior that you can implement elements of this. And really what you've got to have is you've got to have that conversation to say, you know, you send me these emails and typically they don't have subject lines and I can't tell what you're asking me to do with them. It would really help me out if you were able to frame it this way. And then I can look at this and I can actually help you quicker and we can get the answers that you're looking for faster. If you would just help me a little bit.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times we're, you know, a lot of times, uh, a lot of times we we get emails from somebody and and they'll be like, ah, you know, I wish this person would do X or Y. Uh, and yeah, subjects is a great example. My wife had this situation at her at her company a, a while ago where uh, there was there was one guy and he, he was on the team. He's a designer, but very techie. And he'd send these big, long, it was almost the opposite of the problem you're talking about, where he would send these big, long emails with a ton of technical details and like like really, really in depth. But he would send them a lot of times to a more management level audience who really doesn't care about any of those details. All they really want to know is, you know, is the is the change to the website going to be ready next week or not? Like it's really a yes or no question. Um, And so, you know, a lot of times what what would happen is they would people would kind of be like, ah, this guy, blah, blah, blah. But eventually my wife had to talk to him and just say, hey, maybe you want to frame it this way. And it was a lot better after. So sometimes if, if somebody is not following what you think is an effective email strategy, it can be really helpful just to talk to the person and uh, and which, you know, we usually don't want to do. But a lot of times that can make a big difference. Just having that quick little conversation, as long as you do it in a constructive way, obviously.
0: Yeah. You've you've got to know what the communication expectations are of your particular team. But if you understand the expectations, there's always room to tweak the system to make it better. So in that particular instance, for example, maybe somebody sends a big long email with all these technical details and they just put a generic subject line. Okay. And they send it to 10 different people on the management team. And now every single one of those people replies all with their thoughts on what was just written. And the technical person replies back, no, 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 I just wanted to let you know what was going on. (laughs) Okay, Uh well you've just wasted a whole bunch of people's time and the real simple solution to this is just at the end of your subject line, type NRN, no reply needed. And maybe you have to communicate that to your team that I'm going to use this in the future when I send something that I just want you to see, but I don't want you to do anything with. And that that's just a, an example of how you can kind of improve some of those systems. Uh, we have other episodes that dive into some of those different modifiers and things, but uh, it's I think it's worth calling out right now. Yeah, totally. All right. So that's number three, the emails that you can go ahead and delete. Number four are the emails that fall into the reference material category. So these are things that you need to keep, but you don't need to do anything with right now. So the workflow for this, you've got a message in your inbox. You ask the question, do I need to do something with this? If the answer is no, the question then is, will I need this later? If the answer is yes, then it goes to a reference file. And once again, you archive the message. Now, why send it to a reference file? Why not just archive the message and use the powers of search to find what you're looking for when you need it? Uh, That I would argue because a lot of email clients are great at searching for text, but they are not great at searching for attachments, okay? And then when you send something to a reference file, you also... just like when you send something to a task manager, have the ability to apply additional information to it. So let's just use Evernote as an example. That's probably the most popular free reference material, uh, reference file uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. When you send something to Evernote, you've got the ability to put it in a specific notebook. You've got the ability to apply a specific tag or even multiple tags And you can even combine when you're in Evernote looking for something, all of these different modifiers to really drill down and find what you're looking for. You don't have to just search the contents of the message. And if you've got a PDF or something that you're sending to Evernote, uh, then those it's much better at storing those external files than an email client is.
1: Yeah. This is something a lot of people kind of struggle with and It's not that you need to put every single email into your reference file, um, but the ones that you think, yeah, like a a good example would be something like uh, something with travel receipts, for example, it can be a, it can be a pain for some people to go through and when it comes time to to find your your receipts, to have to dig through email and track these receipts down, where it would be a lot easier when you get that email to save it to whatever your reference file is. For some people, it's Evernote, like you said. For some people, that's OneNote. For some people, maybe it's an accounting system or something like that. You know, th- those are all things that can make it a lot easier than using your, your email archive, which... The ability to search your email archive is a great skill, but it's not tailor-made for these specific situations where storing it to a re- reference file can be helpful.
0: Yeah, exactly, and and there are different types of reference files. So Evernote's great as a generic reference file. I'm glad you called out OneNote because a lot of the people that I talk to use OneNote, and I think that that's actually a pretty good one too. But let's say you've got uh, somebody's contact information, okay, that is gonna go into a contacts database. For example, I use busy contacts Uh, and you could use the default contacts application on whatever platform you happen to be using but recognizing that there's certain types of information that require a specialized container like that is going to be important. And you don't have to have all of those figured out at the beginning. If you were to start storing contacts in Evernote, that's completely fine. And just go back and visit that system every once in a while and ask yourself, is this still working? And if you're storing contacts in Evernote, it's not going to take very long before you realize that there probably is a better way to do this. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right. So that's number four, the reference material. Now we get to number five, which is my favorite one. And that is because it lands right smack dab in the middle between the task manager and the reference file. These are things like we mentioned at the beginning, time sensitive reference material that requires eventual action. (laughs) So I classified this in the workflow as read it later, because these are typically things that people just wanted to glance at to make sure they were aware of, but it wasn't something that they quote unquote needed to do. All right. So the workflow for this looks like this. You've got a message that comes into your inbox and you ask yourself, do I need to do something with this? Okay. So up until now, we've had two options, no and yes. All right. But we, based on the interviews that we did, created a separate category here, which I just called read because that's really the only action that is required. We need to look at this. All right. And so for this type of material that we need to look at but it doesn't need to be do, doesn't have to need to be done uh, right now. Okay? Then we're going to send it to a separate service. And that is going to be a read it later service. Once again, once we send it to the read it later service, we're going to archive this message and get it out of our inbox. This from the interviews that I did, this is the number one thing that people dealt with. These emails that came in and they knew they needed to look at what this person had had written. You know, the example that you shared with the, the big, big, long technical email, that's mm. the perfect type of thing that a lot of people deal with. Oh, I, I know I need to look at this. I can't do it right now. I don't know where to send this, where I'll make sure that I see it again. I'm just gonna leave it in my inbox. Okay. And that that compounds uh, every single email that you leave in your inbox that causes you to not trust that system. So it's important that we understand uh, or that we identify a container to put these things in. And that's what the Read It Later service does. Now, not all Read It Later services are created equal, I have discovered. (laughs) The, The two that are most popular are Pocket and Instapaper, and they handle links and information very very differently all right so pocket basically you can take a url and you can send it to pocket you cannot forward an entire message to pocket (laughs) nate (laughs) says in the chat yes pocket sucks for email absolutely (laughs) you can do that with instapaper however And Instapaper works the same way that something like OmniFocus does or any of those task managers that have those email addresses that you can forward things to. uh, You have a specific email address, which is to your account. And if you send something to Instapaper, it's going to convert it, it's going to look at it, it's going to identify the text, it's going to rip that out, it's going to put it into your Instapaper account. And then you can go into your Instapaper queue and you can see all of the different articles and things, maybe even emails that you have stored there, and you can go through those whenever you want.
1: Yeah, and it, it's funny. Um, Pocket, I would say, is probably the most popular read it later service. And you know, usually these read it later services are really designed for clipping web pages. Uh, but exactly, and. and But I I started using Instapaper and I I just never switched away from it just because it was what I was using and I was happy with it. Um, But so I didn't actually realize when people would say people would ask me sometimes, you know, how do you clip emails to these services? And I say, oh, you just do this or that. And at first I didn't realize that uh, uh, Pocket doesn't do emails uh, that well. Uh, So Instapaper definitely works a lot better. Uh, for emails anyway, specifically. So it all depends what you use it for the most.
0: Yeah. What you would have to do with pocket is you would have to, let's say you get a newsletter that has a link to open it in a web browser. You would have to open that in your web browser. And then when you go to the web browser, you can store it straight to pocket. And yeah, that's that uh, to be honest, I, I know I've used pocket in the past and I swear that I had forwarded emails to it, but yeah. Nate's called me out in the, the podcast channel. I didn't realize that the new version <laughs> yeah. that, uh, and again, I don't know how long it's been there because I've been using Instapaper now for a couple of years, but I did use Pocket for a while. Uh, I did not realize that that you couldn't forward an email to, uh, to that service because that just seemed so basic. And there are some email clients I know that have Pocket integration. What that basically does is it looks through the emails that the the email message that you're taking action on. And it looks for the URLs and it tries to strip out those URLs and send those URLs to pocket. So let's say you get a newsletter with a couple different URLs. If you were to use those integrations, you'll lose the contents of the newsletter. You'll just get the links. So it's a very important distinction to make there. Definitely. All right, uh, so that is the fifth category, and really the one that was created based off of all of the interviews that we had done, the read it later. Now, let's transition here and talk about a couple general email tips to help you process your email more efficiently. And these are things that we've probably covered at one point or another, but they're worth repeating, uh, especially if you've listened to this and you have, you probably have a couple additional questions. The number one thing that people, all, that people struggle with, especially if they traditionally have had folder-based uh, filing structures and they store all of their email messages in different folders, uh, is that we recommend that you always archive the message into a general archive folder. And actually, this is kind of combining the, the, the first two here. Uh, number one, always archive the message. Number two, make sure that you archive that to a single archive folder. The reason for that is that with a lot of mobile email clients specifically, you can determine which folder you're going to store things in when you use those swipe gestures that you mentioned, Brooks. And then uh, when you send something to one specific place, that limits the number of decisions that you have to make about that particular message. All you've got to do is you've got to identify and answer the, the questions that we've shared with you so far. And then once you're ready to archive the message, that's it. You just archive it. Okay, so if you're in the Gmail web interface, you just press the E key and bam, it's in your archive folder. You don't have to think about, well, is this associated with this particular company or this particular project underneath this particular company? Uh, all of those little decisions like we have talked about, those add up to depleting your willpower and there's much less of a chance that you're going to actually finish processing your email when you try to, when you have to decide which specific folder these things actually belong in.
1: Yeah, this was a big change that that I made years and years ago. Where I used to have this <laughs> this awesome, elaborate folder structure uh, for my emails, and uh, and it was it, it was a thing of beauty. But the problem is, it would just lead to my inbox piling up because even even ignoring the decision fatigue, it can just be. You just think, oh man, it's just a pain to. It just takes a long time to, <laughs> to move things. Even if you're fast, uh, to just move things to the right folder, it's just so much faster and easier just to hit archive, 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 get a bunch of them, archive, rather than having to figure out what where everything should go, uh, which is is slower. Yeah, and really doesn't have, in my opinion anyway, uh people need to do what works for them, but it doesn't have a huge amount of value over the long term having them in these folders if you do some of the strategies uh that I have a feeling we're about to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So number one, just to recap here,
0: always archive the message. The reason for this is that if you don't always archive the message, if you don't always finish the job, you're not going to trust the system. Uh, Number two, in order to always archive that message, make sure that you use a single archive folder that eliminates, like you said, the decisions that you have to make as you send it to a specific place. And then number three, get good at searching. Now that is sounds easier than it really is, but we actually cover this in the inbox detox course on a basic level. What you really need to understand here is that don't just go in and just start typing text. Because that is not going to allow your email client to to provide you the maximum benefit of looking for that quote unquote needle in a haystack. So how should you search for these things? You should combine different modifiers. Now every email client will have some different modifiers, but just some examples. You could say, uh, send me or show me messages which are from Brooks that have specific. A specific word in the subject line, like email. Uh, maybe we're pre- prepping for this this uh, podcast, and and you sent me an email uh, about the the topic. Okay, now we don't actually do that. We use Google Google Drive, but just as a theoretical example. And you could even add additional modifiers like has attachments. Okay, so maybe I'm looking for the workflow file that you sent over in the email for this show. Okay, so that combination of those three modifiers is going to return much more relevant results when I'm looking for that specific thing not just typing in the name of the file or what I thought the file was called uh, when uh, w- in, in the search box if you're able to combine these things you're able to much much uh, you're much more likely find what you're looking for you're not going to get hundreds of results you're going to get a handful of results
1: yeah the so the problem with search, really is a lot of times we hear, oh, you know, you should learn to search your email or your files or whatever, but we're talking about email. And so you think, oh, okay, I'm going to try this. So you type a few words in to, to the search box and you get just a ton of stuff back and you're just like, ah, forget it. It would be, it would just be easier for me to go dig through my folders and find it. But like you said, if you learn and these modifiers aren't hard and they're a little different for each platform, but they're they're not difficult, what I would normally do is nine times out of 10 or let's say eight times out of 10. What I'll just do is do uh, from so-and-so or to so-and-so. If I'm trying to find an email from somebody or to somebody or at least narrow things down. So, you know, a lot of the time just doing that works really well. But but like you said, Mike, if if, if you know you're looking for a specific thing, what I tend to do is do from person to person and then I will think okay what's one word that I know should be in the email or I know should be on the subject line and I'll include that as well and that 90% of the time that combination will do the trick and even if it doesn't zoom right in to the specific email you're looking for chances are you're going to see that email on the screen in front of you and you can just open it up And like you said, you can go, you can go a lot crazier. Like, uh, what I find pretty helpful too sometimes is if I'm doing a search from some, let's say I wanted to find a a search from uh, a particular vendor from, you know, June, 2015 or something like that, I will stack, combine those modifiers to search from that vendor and then search in that date range. I don't need to remember the exact date, but I can know at least narrow it down. So Yeah really if i was to give two tips other than the email workflow which is great for processing email if i was to give two tips that would really pay off over and over for you if you learn them it's using that single archive folder and at least uh practice and give give a good try at searching
0: yeah absolutely and uh, I, I like your, your tip of, of using the the to and the from and then a term that's going to appear in the body or the subject line because almost every email client is going to support that. Different email clients are going to have different ways of searching some of the other modifiers, but a lot of them have visual building blocks that you can use to to combine these things. So if you're not sure what your client supports. uh, Usually there's like a disclosure triangle in the search field that will allow you to see some of the different things that you could use and just get aware, become aware of of what your particular email client of choice uses. Uh, Number four is going to be curate your read it later service. So we talked about sending things to your read it later service, but this is another problem that people had was they sent things now to Instapaper, but What do they do with the things that are in Instapaper? Now you've got another inbox that you've got to keep on top of. And I totally get that because in the moment when you're looking at something in your email inbox, the thing is going to have more value to you than it is a week from now. (laughs) That's why so many people have trouble deleting things. But let's say that you just forward all of these things to your Instapaper queue. Now you go in there and you've got 200 things in your Instapaper queue How do you filter that and see only the things that are important? Okay, so very quick way to do this, which I actually picked up from Abby Marks Beal when she was on the podcast, uh, is to look at your reading pile, whether that be physical or in this case, it's going to be digital. It's going to be in your read it later service. Okay, so you're going into Instapaper, you're looking at things, and as you're going through the list and you're about to open something to read, just make a real quick value judgment on a scale of one to 10. What, how how important is this? Okay, and delete anything that is six or lower. All right, now that's a general rule. Uh, if you've if you don't want to eliminate that many things from your read it later pile, you can adjust that number if you want, but I think that that's actually a really great place to start. Because what that is going to do is it is going to make sure that whenever you go into your Read It Later service and you're going to read those things, they are things that you actually want to read. And if they are things that you actually want to read, then you are more likely to read them. <laughs> <laughs> sounds crazy. <laughs> I know this This is not <laughs> not rocket science, but uh, hopefully the, just some of these tips will, will help this stuff stick.
1: Yeah. And the one thing I will also say about Read It Later services is that can really help is don't feel stressed out. If you don't get to it, you know, if your key thing is processing your inbox and and being on top of that, if you don't get to the things in your read it later service, don't feel overwhelmed. Don't feel that you have to get that down to zero, like give yourself a break. It's okay if you don't, if you, if you aren't able to make it through your, your read it later, uh, unread this week. You know, it's all right. Don't worry about it.
0: One of the things that I picked up, I think from Austin Cleon was that, uh, you don't have to finish every book. And that was pretty freeing to me. I mean, and it, it applies to your email, your Instapaper, your read it later, whatever. Uh, just think about it. We've got all of this information that's being thrown at us literally without discretion by people who do not have your best interests in mind. It's up to you to say, you know what? This just isn't important to me. And if you decide that this just isn't important to me, don't feel bad about getting rid of that thing. Or maybe you started on it and you're just like, ah, this isn't doing it for me. Be okay with saying, you know, that's enough. <laughs> I'm gonna pull the plug. <laughs> you don't have to don't have to finish everything. Like, in fact, one of the books that, that you'd recommend and started off great, but it quickly got dry for me, was confessions of a pricing man i had a oh, real yeah. hard time getting through the middle of that book and eventually i just like you know what I, every time i pick this up to read it i i don't look forward to it i read a couple pages and i have to put it put it down again so i'm, like, I'm just gonna go read something else for a while that i really want to read <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i had a hard time with that too of being a completionist like if i start something Uh, whether it's a book, audiobook, whatever, a bag of coffee, you know, whatever I feel like "Ah, I started, I got to finish it. So that is definitely a mindset, a helpful mindset, uh, that I need to get through. And I, I, I did feel that way about my Insta paper queue for a long time as well. I'd be like, ah, I, I gotta, I put this stuff in here. I've gotta, I've gotta read it. Cause I obviously wanted to read it at some point. Um, but a, I started being more picky, like you said, about what I put in there and then B. If I didn't get to it, it's it's okay. There's more important things in my life than my Insta paper queue. Shockingly, exactly. We are living in an
0: attention economy where everybody is vying for your attention. It is not your duty or your responsibility to give your attention to anyone that you don't think deserves it, and that applies to your time and your email as well. Uh, number five is turn off your notifications and we could probably do a whole episode just on this one. We've talked about notifications a lot, but whatever you can do right now to limit your notifications, that is going to provide exponential returns when it comes to managing your time, your attention, your energy, and your focus. So if you can completely delete your email application from your phone, like one person that I talked to when I was doing the interviews then that's great. And in fact, they absolutely loved that. And they've said that it's, it's made a huge difference. If you can't do that, then at least switch it. Maybe the next step is then instead of switching it, uh, instead of getting notifications all the time where people can literally push notifications to you at any point, maybe you switch it from push to pull where you actually have to go into your email client and then pull the messages from the server and then see what, what is in your inbox. Maybe it's just implementing some VIP notifications where you get notifications from your boss, but uh, your coworkers who tend to send the the email forwards and the signup list for the pickup basketball games, like those you don't get notified of. But do something to trim your notifications.
1: Yeah, this is something that any Outlook user is very familiar with, Uh this concept of you're, you're working and Outlook is particularly egregious about this of, you know, you're working away and all of a sudden that little Outlook's, Outlook box pops up and you're totally distracted from what you're doing you, you no matter how disciplined you are you can't help but being distracted by that stupid box that pops up so oh, i hate this, that <laughs> so this is something this is something that really can have a big impact especially for office workers especially for outlook workers but any anyone else as well and even if you're even if you're good and turn off notifications on your on your email program, on your computer, make sure you also do it on your mobile device as well. Because one thing I would, I would find before is, you know, I'd have everything turned off and be, uh, you know, be a notification free monk on my computer focusing away. And my, my phone would be off to the side and I wouldn't see the notification, but I would see my phone light up just out of the corner of my eye. And (laughs) so I had to make sure that I turn that stuff off to, or what I would also do is, um, if I didn't want to do that for whatever reason, I just, uh, either have my phone somewhere else or just turn it upside down when I'm, when I'm doing focus work. And and that was helpful.
0: Yeah. I, I know that on the, on the Mac, if you don't trim your notifications, you've also got those notifications, those banners that can appear, but for whatever reason, the outlook ones seem to be very, very invasive. That should be illegal. Yeah. <laughs> All right, great. So we've gone over the new and improved agent efficiency email workflow, talked about the five different types of emails that will end up in your email inbox and how to deal with them. We've given you five general email tips to process email more efficiently. Any closing words
1: for email this time around? No, uh, just have a system and make sure it's a system that works for you. Uh, make sure you tailor whatever system you you do look at. Make sure you tailor it for what works for you. Don't If, if there's one thing on, a, on this system that you're looking for that you're just like, nah, that's not going to work for me. First of all, I would recommend giving it a try because sometimes we don't think something will work, but then when we try it out, it actually does. But if it really doesn't work for you, it's okay. That doesn't mean the whole thing, uh, you should disregard the whole thing necessarily, but just tweak it to what works for you.
0: This episode was inspired by the development process for our new email product Inbox Detox. It's not available to the general public yet, but if you're interested in learning more about how you can achieve and keep inbox zero, you can sign up at theproductivityshow.com/inboxdetox to be the first to know when it's live. You'll also get a special offer that's only going to be available at launch and it's only being offered to podcast listeners. Inbox Detox was included as a bonus in a recent product launch, but this is the first time it will be made available for purchase separately. This short video course includes five videos that will help you quickly get up to speed and gives you a step-by-step process that you can follow to reclaim control of your inbox. We walk you through the email workflow step-by-step, and there's even a diagram which shows you exactly what to do with each email as it comes into your inbox. But don't just take my word for it. Here's what Dojo member Nate Lowry had to say about Inbox Detox. Since implementing email detox, my email is finally under control. I'm starting to follow up with people regularly and I'm not dropping the ball. I highly recommend you give the program a try and fully implement the workflow as described. It decreases the friction with email and makes processing your inbox really Asian efficient. I've already saved hours in just the two weeks since I've
1: started, and it has more than paid for itself.
0: So if you need a little help getting to Inbox Zero, even if you currently have thousands of unread messages and you dread opening your email app, Inbox Detox is for you. Again, you can sign up to be the first to know about Inbox Detox and get a special discount by going to theproductivityshow.com inboxdetox Inbox Detox. That URL again is theproductivityshow.com slash inbox detox. You can also find links to everything that we discussed today in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 166. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next productive Monday.